Amen. Let's look in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We're going to begin reading in uh, verse 1. I'm going to share a message entitled To a Thousand Generations. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And we'll begin reading in uh, verse 1. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath chased out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Gergesites, and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Parasites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver thee before shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter shall not, uh, I'm sorry, thy daughter thou shalt not give to his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Uh, for they uh, will turn away thy sons from following me, that they, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen for the hand of, the, of Pharaoh, king of Egypt? Know, therefore, that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes of the judgments uh, which the Lord, I'm sorry, which I command thee this day uh, to do them. Wherefore it shall come to pass, if ye hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swear unto thy fathers. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this passage of scripture. I'm thankful for uh, the revelation of all that God is, his character, his grace, his mercy, his love is revealed in this passage. I'm thankful, Lord, that you challenge your people on how they're to respond to you and how they're to live in this world. And I'm thankful, Lord, tonight that we can glean some practical truths that will help us in uh, living our Christian life and, and being a testimony of God's grace. Lord, my prayer would be that if there's someone here tonight that's never been saved, I'm thankful that the grace of God, the mercy of God extends from generation to generation, from time to time. And I'm thankful, Lord, that tonight uh, there is an opportunity to receive Christ as, your, as their Savior. 
And so, Lord, I pray for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, the great convictor of our soul. I pray for a move and a, an anointing of God to be on the preaching of the word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verse is verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Uh, it's an amazing passage because God is reminding the Israelite uh, that he is the one that had formed them and he is the one who had blessed them and made them to be the nation that they are. And uh, many times what we do is we forget really who we are and where our salvation and our faith comes from. He is God and there is no other God. He is the faithful God, he tells them. He is the one that keeps his covenant and keeps his mercy to a thousand generations. You know, the church's foundation is built upon Jesus Christ. Now, there is no other foundation. There is no denominational foundation. Uh, there is no human foundation, but rather the foundation of the church is upon Christ. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'm thankful tonight that I can know that for a thousand generations uh, that God's church will not cease to exist. Oftentimes people say, well, churches are closing down by the thousands every year. That may be so, but the remnant, the true church of Jesus Christ isn't closing down. And uh, it is built upon the foundation of Christ and Christ alone and it will stand and will be here until Jesus comes to take his bride to heaven. Amen. So the church's foundation is built upon Jesus Christ. The church's practice is soul winning and discipleship. I think many times we forget that. Israel had a problem because they kept forgetting what God had commanded them to do. They kept forgetting what God had done for them. And I think oftentimes we forget what it is that God has done and what God has commanded us to do. It's interesting to go through the epistles in the New Testament because there is much that is written in reference to how we relate to one another, how we walk with the Lord, how we grow in grace and knowledge of Christ and all these things. But when you read through the Gospels, the instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples were, were very minute because the reality is Jesus said, told them to love each other. He said, hereby shall men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. Uh, he commanded them to go out and preach the gospel. He said, the son of man came to this world to seek and to save that was lost. And he said, as the father has sent me, so send I you. And so very simplistic, you're to love one another and, and you're to go out and preach the gospel to others. And then you're to disciple them, make disciples of them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And so the, the instruction of Christ to the Christian uh, is very simplistic. And yet it seems like the church oftentimes has such a difficult time of grasping the reality of what we're supposed to be about as a Christian and certainly as a church. And yet God wants to extend his grace for a thousand generations in the passage, Israel, as we're going to see in a few moments as we go through the passage, Israel is surrounded by pagan worship and immoral lifestyles. 
Now, it's always interesting because people will get frustrated. They say, well, it's just hard to live in the world that we live in. It's so wicked. It's so vile. Things are getting worse. Uh, you understand this, that it was just as bad, if not worse, in the days of Noah. God brought a flood on the earth. In the days of Israel's forming as a nation, they were going into a land that was consumed by immorality and paganism. And yet they were to live their life for the glory of God. Moses is simply giving them instruction in this chapter on how to be successful in the midst of all the debauchery they had to be dealing with constantly. And God wants us, I believe, to be successful in our Christian life. I believe God wants each generation to impact their generation for the glory of God. And I believe that God has given us right now, 2019, to impact the world in which we live. And God's grace and God's mercy is extended from generation to generation. It is not sufficient just to review what we've been in the past, nor is it uh, uh, enough just to sit and rejoice in where we are in the present. I believe we always need to be pressing forward with an uncompromising desire to accomplish greater things for the glory of God in the future. And uh, we cannot live in the past because you can't change the past. In the present, you are limited in what you can do. There's only 24 hours in a day. And so what are you going to do tomorrow? You know, this day is almost done. This sermon will be done in about an hour and a half. And... <laughs> This day for church will be over. Uh, whatever we were going to do in worship and praise of God is past. And certainly in the present, it is quickly running out of time. So what are we going to do tomorrow in worship and praise of God? What are we going to do next week or a year from now? From generation to generation, God was interested in each generation in Israel. So I want to just take this chapter apart a little bit. And look at some things that God did in helping Israel to understand that he was a God who was faithful to them and that he would bless them from generation to generation to generation. That applies to us. Notice first, God has commanded. And God always gives commands. I remember old Dr. Vanneman years ago used to say, this Bible, this book is not a book of better ways. This book, the Bible, is a book of commands. People say, I don't want God telling me what to do. I want people telling me what to do. How dare you tell me how to live? Everything in this book is a command. God is not suggesting that we live this way. He's commanding us to live this way. And so it's not a book of better ways. It is a book of commands that are to be obeyed. And so God has commanded. Notice in verse 2 through 5, I just identified it as special instruction. God gave Israel special instruction that is very uh, applicable to us in, even in 2019. Notice in verse 2 of chapter 7, he says, When the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. And so the instruction of God with Israel going into a land that was full of immorality and paganism was don't make any covenants with them. We, we do one thing with the unsaved, with the heathen, and that is we try to lead them to Christ. Uh, we, we don't couple up with their immoral practices. We don't become a part of their 
a dysfunctional way that they live, but rather we want to preach Christ to them to help them to know how to be set free. So he says, don't go in and make contracts with them, make no covenants with them. Second Corinthians chapter six, in verse 17, Paul says, wherefore come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Uh, just old fashioned living a life of separation away from the corruption that is in the world. Uh, we do not couple up with them. We don't become a part of their practice, but rather we reprove their works by our righteous acts, by obeying what God has so stated. So make no covenants. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul says, Beware lest any man spoil you. And the word spoil there means to trap or to ensnare. He said, beware lest any man spoil you or trap you or ensnare you through philosophy and vain deceit. And the traditions of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. That is a challenge for us to live our Christian life in a world that is bent on denying God, rejecting the reality of God, mocking and ridiculing and making fun of everything that is in reference to God. We are to live in this world not being corrupted by its philosophy, not being trapped by its conduct, and uh, not being deceived uh, by all that it does. No, we're supposed to live our life apart from that. We are in the world. I've heard people say, oh, you know, we're in the world. You're exactly right. We are in the world, but we are not to be a part of the world. We, we are separated from the world. We don't uh, couple up with them and make covenants with them because of the fact they will ensnare you and destroy your Christian life. I've seen medicine. I have seen many a Christian life, a person who was on fire for God, who got too tightly connected with and coupled up with unsaved people, and then their life was ruined. It's, it's amazing how the devil is so smart and so sly on how he captures our whole attention and our hearts to pull us away from God. And God's telling Israel, now listen, when you go into the land, I'm just warning you right up front. If you want to be successful and enjoy my blessings from generation to generation, do not make any covenants with the heathen in the land. So make no covenants. Notice another thing here in verse 3. Of our text, he says, Make no marriages. He says, Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. And then he explains why. God commands, and then he explains why. Oftentimes you tell your children, Don't do this, that, or the other, and they say, Why? You know, you, as, a, as a pastor, oftentimes I tell people, well, you don't do this, that, or the other. And they say, why? Everybody wants to know the answer to why. And so God says, don't marry. Don't take their daughters for your sons. Don't give your daughters to their sons. And so before they even ask the question, he answers the question. He says, for they will turn away thy son from following me, that he they may Serve other gods, so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy them suddenly. Just simple, very simple concept that uh, being unequally yoked together with unbelievers uh, never works out. 
it never works out. It is, it is amazing to me how somebody can say, well, you know, you know, I'll be able to win them to the Lord, whether it be man or woman or whatever. And they say, well, we're going to get married. We're in love. Everybody's in love, you know. And we're in love and we're going to get married and everything will be all right because I'll be able to bring him to the Lord. No, no. You know what happens? You get away from God. Well, I'll bring, be able to bring her to the Lord. No, I tell you, it, it, it always works the opposite direction. And so if you're married to an unsaved person, you got saved and you're married to an unsaved person, realize this according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that the Apostle Paul says that your home is sanctified because you're in that home. And he says that you're not to depart, you're not to leave the unsaved person. You don't divorce the person because they're unsaved. But rather you pray for them, you live your Christian life in front of them, uh, you fulfill your obligations and fulfill your vows that you made to be married one towards another so that you might be able to sanctify your home and that they might come to Christ. You don't go along with the unsaved. You don't, you're in your situation, you don't embrace the things that they do. And yet Christians today just seem like it's, they're above the reality of the influence of unsaved individuals in their life. Make no marriages with them. You need to train your children from a young age that when they get older, they're going to marry a Christian. Uh, they're not going to marry an unsaved person. Their heart is they need to pray for the person God wants them to marry. They need to pray and be devoted to the Lord all the days of their life. And now uh, realizing that if they marry someone who is unsaved, they are unequally yoked and it's going to turn their heart away from God. And I, I wouldn't want to be putting myself in that dangerous situation. And uh, uh, so don't be unequally yoked. Notice he tells them not only not to, don't make any covenants, don't make any marriages, and he said don't make any worship together. In uh, verse 5, he goes on, he says, but the, thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, and cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. What's he saying? He said, no, when you go into the heathen land, you go into Canaan to possess the land that I promised I would give you, I want you to be aware of this. Do not start embracing their worship. They're worshiping false gods. They're bowing down to idols. And so don't embrace that worship because it's going to turn you away from me. And yet, in, I just watch it over the years, uh, all of a sudden there's some movement in quote-unquote Christianity and they're embracing every kind of religion there is and doesn't matter what you believe, just as long as we get together and have a quote-unquote worship service, man, we're worshiping God. You're not worshiping God if you're coupling up with false gods. And God's very clear. You do not embrace the worship of false gods you reprove the worship of false gods. You separate from those things because they will corrupt your ability to enjoy the God of heaven. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we worship God based on who he is, the essence of God. He's a spirit, but on the reality of God, uh, he is absolute truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That leaves no leeway for us to be able to say, well, other people can have their faith too. In 2019, it's like nobody can say something that's contradictory to someone else about anything. And that has affected our ability to worship. It has affected our ability to witness because of the fact that we feel obligated to say, it's okay for you to worship the way you're worshiping. When in reality, the worshiping that is apart from Christ is condemning people to hell. But God is merciful. God is gracious from generation to generation. He's not willing that any should perish. And because of that, there's, there's opportunity upon opportunity for us to share our faith with someone else. But we don't embrace other people's worship that are worshiping false gods. And so very special instruction here. Very simplistic. If you live by those three principles... Make no covenants. In other words, don't get obligated and connected to the unsaved. Make no marriages, so don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers because that's going to affect your life. It's going to affect your life of your children or your grandchildren. And, so, and not only that, but say, I'm not going to worship with anyone who is worshiping falsely in reference to who God is. I'm going to tell you, those three principles will make a major difference in your resolve to have the Lord number one, as Andrea was singing, Lord number one, priority of the Lord. He needs to be number one. He cannot be put, placed in a scale next to false gods. And so he had, God has commanded this, just a simple instruction. Notice he has established a very special relationship in verse 6 with Israel. For he says this, you are, he said, for thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. And the Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. And it's an alarming thing we see in America how so many people in America now are becoming so aggressive and so antagonistic against Israel. But God has so stated that he would bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. And the alarming thing is among Christian people, how many people who claim to be Christians who are aggressively against Israel. We need to be reminded that from generation to generation, God has still called Israel to be a holy people, and he has called them as a special people that was chosen by him to be unto himself. And so there would be a holy people. You know, they were a chosen people. And uh, it was God's choosing, not man's choosing, but God decided that he would choose Israel to be the apple of his eye and to be his people. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, says in reference to us, but ye are a chosen generation. So that concept that God chose Israel, people say, well, why, why is Israel uh, is so special? Because God chose it. God in his sovereignty can do what he wants. God chose it. But wait a minute, he's also chose us. Ye are a chosen people, a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, 
that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Just as God called Israel with a special relationship that they were to be a holy people chosen of God, that parallels what we are in Christ Jesus. And we are a chosen people, chosen in Christ, and we're to be holy unto our God. So God has commanded this. This is not an option. God has so commanded. But God is faithful. In verse 7 through 11, notice uh, he's faithful through a special emotion. In verse 7, the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were in number, uh, more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. A special emotion that God has for us is that it's an unconditional love. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. God chose Israel. Now, listen, when God chose Abraham, it was only Abraham and his family. That was it. Genesis 12, God said, told Abraham, Come out of the land of the Arab Chaldees unto the land that I will show thee, and I will make thee a mighty nation. God didn't choose Abraham because of the fact that Abraham had a mighty amount of people that nationally was following him. No, God chose him when he was few in number. If you're saved tonight and no one else in your family is saved, realize this, that God has chosen you and loved you, not because you're great and influential and great numbers, but God loved you unconditionally and sent Jesus to die on the cross that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And from generation to generation to generation, there's a special emotional connection that God has with his people and is based on his unconditional love. If God loved, listen, if God loved me back in 1979 to save my soul, then bless God, I can believe that in 2019, God loves somebody who's lost and on their way to hell that they might be saved also. The unconditional love of God. Special, special emotion. There was a special devotion also in verse 8. He said, because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And so it was a special devotion. God loved them so deeply that he literally would bring them out, redeem them, deliver them from being in bondage in Egypt. The special devotion that God has to us is an uncompromised deliverance. God did not bring Israel out of Egypt to fall back into Egypt into bondage. God brought them out of Egypt to give them a land to dwell in and a life that would be victorious and powerful in living and loving and serving him. Jesus delivered us with an uncompromised deliverance. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. I'm thankful that John writes that these things have I written on you that believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so God does not save us to let us fall back into bondage, 
but he delivers us with an uncompromised deliverance. And we need to remember, wait a minute, if God delivered men and women and boys and girls in the past generations, then hallelujah, in this generation he can deliver us with an uncompromising deliverance. People can be saved and know they're saved. In VBS we had, I think it was eight or ten children got saved Young children trusted Christ as their Savior. Oftentimes people say, well, you know, does a little kid really know what they're doing? Uh, they don't need to know everything they're doing. All they need to do is know who Jesus is and have faith to trust him as their Savior. And God delivers them not to take him, uh, lead, leave his hands off of them that they might be lost. He secures them throughout all eternity. God is the faithful one. God is reminding Israel that, wait a minute, when I brought you out of bondage in Egypt, I brought you out to secure you for all eternity, from generation to generation to generation. You would say, well, I don't know if God's real or not. Uh, one word proves the reality of the eternality of God, and it's Israel. Amen. You look at all that's been done to Israel, and Israel's there. Why? Because God had a special emotional connection, was unconditional love. He had a special devotion with them that was uncompromised deliverance and how that parallels us when we have faith in Christ. Notice in verse 9, there was a special obligation. In verse 9, it says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keepeth commandments to a thousand generations. Obligation there, keepeth commandments. Verse 10, and repayeth them that hate him to their face, to destroy them. He will not slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. When I read that verse, I thought, what is it going to be like for the unsaved to stand in the presence of Christ to be condemned to hell? He's going to repay them face to face. He's going to look every one of them that hated and despised who he is. He's going to look at every one of them that cried out, crucify him, crucify him. He's going to look at them face to face and repay them for their hatred. In verse 11, he says, thou shalt therefore, based on the reality that God will repay those from generation to generation that hate him, thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. That is a special obligation that places on us an unwavering obedience. He said, look, based on the fact of who I am and what I will do, and how I will deal with those who hate me, you have an obligation to obey the commandments and statutes and judgments that I've commanded you. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, people say, well, we're in grace. We're under grace. We're under grace. We're under grace. This is New Testament. This is the church age. We're under grace. Well, under grace, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Why? Because there is an obligation to respond to the love of God. So God has commanded, God is faithful. And then in verse 12, 
uh, in following, we see God has promised. I'm thankful that he makes promises from generation to generation. Notice it's a conditional response in verse 12. It says, wherefore it shall come to pass if ye hearken to these judgments and keep them and keep and do them that the Lord thy God will keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swear unto thy fathers. And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee and he will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land, thy corn and thy wine, thy oil, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep in the land which he swear unto the fathers to give. And so a conditional response. God says, here's what I promise. If you do this, I will do this. I delivered you. I set you free. I've called you because I love you. I've established you. I'll reward you. I'll bless you. But here's some things you have to do also. So there's a conditional response. There's a continual repose. In other words, a continual rest or a peace. But I had to have an R in my word. Amen. Anyway, notice in verse 14 down through verse 17, it says, uh, verse 14, I just started underlining the promises that God made to Israel. He says, thou shalt be blessed above all people. I, I'd like to think, I like to think as believers, as uh, those who have trusted Christ as our Savior, that we can be blessed above all people. I want to enjoy the blessings of God. Notice in verse 15, it says, the Lord will take away from thee all sickness. I'll tell you, last year around here has been difficult. Uh, between the sicknesses and between the deaths and everything else that we've had to deal with in the last year or so, I'm waiting for God and praying for God. Hey, God, remove the sickness out of us. Amen. Give us healing. I believe God can heal us. I really do. I believe that God can deliver and I believe God can heal. God promised that to Israel. He said, I'll take away from you all your sickness. Notice in verse 16, he says, and thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee, thine eyes shall have no pity upon them. Complete victory that we have in Christ. That's why I wanted to sing that song tonight, Shouting Time in Heaven. I'll tell you, the Christian has something to rejoice in because we have the peace of God that passes all understanding. And so God has promised a conditional response, a continual repose, but there's a gradual reward in verse 21. Well, verse 18, it says, Thou shalt not be afraid of them. You don't need to fear the world. Uh, listen, if God be for us, who can stand against us? We don't have to be afraid of the days that we're living in because God has not given us a spirit of fear. And he's reminding Israel, you don't need to be afraid of the people that are around you. Notice in verse 21, he says, Thou shalt not be affrighted. At them, for the Lord thy God is among you, a mighty God and terrible. And the Lord thy God will put out those nations before thee by little and little. Thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee. God sends his blessings upon us a little by a little. You know, I've often thought, you know, I'm glad that God doesn't give me everything all at once because I wouldn't be able to handle it. There's times that God shows up, God speaks to my heart, God overwhelms me with his presence, and I can only deal with so much. God, don't, don't show me too much. 
you know, I, I can't deal with it. It's too much for me to be able to comprehend and be able to uh, deal with in my life. But so God gives us a little bit of himself and a little bit of himself. He gives us a little bit of blessings and a little bit of blessings. God's blessings are continual. He's continually blessing Israel as they surrender to him. You say, well, how long is he going to continue to bless and reward from generation to generation to a thousand generations? The blessings that we can read about that happened in church history are blessings that we can expect to experience right now. The blessings that we experience right now are blessings that we can expect to take place in the future. I, I don't know why there's this defeated attitude among Christianity in general. Like it, it, we're, Everybody's so pessimistic. Everybody's like, well, the church is falling apart. All the young people are leaving the church. All this is going on in the church. And I'm thinking, whoa, where's the God of heaven? What can God do? What can God move? How can he move and how can he bless? I'm expecting great things from God for tomorrow. I'm not expecting failure tomorrow. I'm not looking to fall down and drop dead tomorrow. I'm expecting God to keep me alive. Amen. I'm looking forward to going to heaven, but I'm having a pretty good time preaching right now. It was, oh, the church isn't going to make it. Yes, it is. If God's on his side, God will take care of that. Say, oh, the world is horrible. It's always been horrible. I mean, for crying out loud, in the Garden of Gethsemane, not the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Eden, I mean, uh, who was in there? Adam and Eve, amen. <laughs> I almost said the disciples. I'm like, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. I mean, everything was perfect. Everything was beautiful. They needed nothing to exist. And yet the devil comes sliding in there. Oh, until you take a look at it and you say, wait, wait a minute. You know, they failed. Now, wait a minute. It wasn't about them. It was about God who gave them victory. Uh, don't, don't lose sight of the reality that God is honest about the condition of man and what man experiences, but grab a hold of the reality in every one of those situations, God gives us victory through the sacrifice that he offers. And from generation to generation and generation, I'm not expecting young people not to be in church. I'm expecting our young people to rise up as mighty leaders in the body of Christ. That's what I'm expecting. I'm not expecting for us to be shut down and people tell us we can't go soul winning and we can't preach. I believe that God is greater than that and God's going to give the victory. To generation, to generation, to generation. Bless God, I might drop dead tomorrow, but the next generation can still go on for the glory of God. Why? Because it's based on God's promise that he would do something miraculous from generation to generation. Let's not be defeated. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And I do not have to be defeated. I do not have to lose. We are on the winning side. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and died for us. And I'm telling you one thing right now. Tomorrow is as bright as the promises of God. And I'm holding on to the promise of God that generation to generation, God's going to show up and do something in people's lives. To a thousand generations. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.
for speaking to our hearts. Help, help us to understand this passage. So many great promises, so many um, points of reality of who God is and what you did in the life of Israel. And Lord, it points to us of the hope that we have in our faith in Christ. I pray there's someone here tonight that's not saved. God, I believe with all my heart, I believe that at this moment, the Spirit of God can touch them, convict them, and bring salvation to their heart. Work in the invitation, Lord. Draw a precious soul to yourself that they might be saved. And Holy Spirit of God, will you come upon the church and will you give us a hope that's real, that God is still alive from generation to generation to generation. And we'll give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing songs.